The system of education, the traditional system of education, frankly, was set well over a hundred years ago. It was set in the middle of the 19th century to deliver on a set of uh, outcomes that were relevant for the middle of the 19th century. And were probably relevant until sometime in the early or middle part of the 20th century. They certainly are not outcomes that are relevant today. And as I first wrote, oh, I don't know, probably seven or eight years ago, if we can imagine the education system like a computer system, we have changed the hardware of the system, we've changed the software of the system, we've changed the desired outcomes that we're trying to achieve for our students, uh, but we've never gone back and changed the fundamental operating system of uh, of, of education. Thank you for joining the Change I Am Possible, which is India's first Future Tech meets sustainability podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Mr. Grant Lichtman, who is an author, speaker, and an internationally recognized thought leader working towards transforming K-12 education. So really appreciate you, Grant, taking time and being a part of a humble effort to educate create awareness about what's happening in the field of education and healthcare and stuff like that. So really appreciate this. So why don't we start with COVID? You know, because of COVID, I feel that uh, the entire world has been upended. You know, so far, uh, education system as such was extremely traditional and everything was, uh, you know, going without any problem. But then COVID has come, has completely changed everything. I have a six and a half year old boy who was for the longest time going to a brick and mortar traditional school and I was paying huge fees over there. But then just last year, I moved him to an online school and, and, and I'm seeing great benefits. So, so as some, a, a, a leader in the education space, how do you think has COVID impacted the education industry? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And yes, COVID is the big elephant in the room uh, today and has been now for almost two years. Uh, the first thing I would say is uh, in your uh, preface there, you said everything had been going along well until uh, COVID came along. And, and I would challenge that. In education, things had not been going along well. There had been a lot of need for transformation in the education space. And COVID was really an accelerator. COVID was something that threw uh, gasoline on an incipiently burning fire. Uh, COVID has been incredibly uh, challenging and difficult for educators worldwide, uh, stressful uh, in ways that we have not seen. The spring of 2020, which now seems a very, very long time ago, uh, right as the pandemic was kicking off, I, like many others, were involved in large national and international Zoom meetups trying to assess what this was, how this was going to impact uh, schools. And there was a, a remarkable level of uh, optimism that this was finally going to be the thing that really provided an opportunity for schools uh, to change dramatically and, and the impetus for schools to change dramatically. And, and I wrote an article then that was, I think, pragmatic. Uh, where I argued that uh, the metaphor that I used was that in a, when people are in a storm, you see, uh, the first thing they're going to do is reach for the nearest life raft. And 
uh, that's what we've seen is, is that uh, rather than many, many uh, school systems using this opportunity of COVID to significantly transform themselves, uh, many are just trying to get back to the norms that they had before. Uh, and those norms were not necessarily serving uh, the vast majority of our students well when we think about the challenges that they're going to be experiencing in their future, as exemplified by things that come along like COVID, uh, which are going to be more of a norm than uh, in the past. So, and for some schools, they will take advantage of the lessons learned from COVID and make those transformations that we all want to see or many of us want to see. And others will default back to the norm, back to frankly a comfort zone that probably didn't exist in the first place, but uh, nevertheless is uh, deemed more comfortable. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think you rightfully pointed that, you know, there'll be a certain section of the uh, educators and education system who understand the opportunity. I mean, when I said that things were going uh, normal, what I meant was the education system was crying out for transformation. It was crying out for innovation because I think all legacy traditional industries function in in, in a certain way and, and they're averse to change. Change has been bought in by these young edtech pioneers or people who are looking for, you know, trying to create a dent in the education system. Because at least here in India, we have been stuck with a hundred year old uh, legacy education system given to us by the Britishers. And it's rote learning. We, uh, the students over here, they just study, they take in information from one year throughout from uh, the other. And, and when they sit for exams, they're just mugging up and they don't really know the context or, or, or why they, they're doing that. So I'm seeing this little glimmer of hope of, uh, you know, the education being completely upended rather than going for the bandage solutions. So someone who's been vested in the space over the two years period, since we are still trapped in home because of this new Omicron thing, what has been the learnings and insights that you would like to share with educators and education uh, education institutes and students? Because everyone has been transformed. Sure, sure. Well, uh, the learning and insights, uh, it's hard to summarize quickly. There, there, there are three books uh, in the shelf behind me, uh, uh, three books that I've written in the last uh, eight or nine years about that. But, but I think I'll try to summarize at the very highest level and, and exactly within the context that you just uh, laid the question. Uh, again, COVID has been an, an accelerant. COVID is not the reason that we need to change. COVID has just provided an acceleration opportunity uh, and realization uh, uh, or, or made the realization much more clear that we need to change the system of education. As you said, in India, as well as in most other countries around the world, the system of education, the traditional system of education, frankly, was set well over 100 years ago. It was set in the middle of the 19th century to deliver on a set of uh, outcomes that were relevant for the middle of the 19th century. And were probably relevant until sometime in the early or middle part of the 20th century. They certainly are not outcomes that are relevant today. And as I first wrote, oh, I don't know, probably seven or eight years ago, if we can imagine the education system like a computer system, we have changed 
the hardware of the system, we've changed the software of the system, we've changed the desired outcomes that we're trying to achieve for our students, uh, but we've never gone back and changed the fundamental operating system of, uh, of education. And to imagine that we can deliver on a different outcome without changing the fundamental operating system, how the curriculum that we use, the pedagogy that is, uh, that is more universally applied, the way we use the resources of physical space and time and training and professional development, assessment and evaluation, uh, without changing those, we're not going to substantively change the outcomes. We're asking our, our educators and we want our educators to prepare our students to live in a world that uh, there's a term we, we now use called VUCA world, V-U-C-A, a world that is vastly more volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous than it ever has been in human history. And COVID is just one example of that. And VUCA world is not going to become more calm in the future. It's going to become more VUCA in the, in the future. And so that's the world we want to prepare our students for. And we have to change the fundamental operating system of, uh, of schools in order to achieve those different outcomes. We, are starting to see, we, we were starting to see that transformation well before COVID, really probably in the first decade of this century. We've seen an acceleration of that worldwide. And with COVID, all of a sudden, we were forced to uh, really reimagine the operating system of school, weren't we? Probably uh, you and with your children and, and almost every other family around the world. And so we want to take lessons from uh, this COVID experience. We want to apply it to the evolution and transformation that was already in process and say, okay, now what are the ways that we can achieve these different learning outcomes and prepare our students better for the future that they're going to inherit? The metaphor you used was profound, you know, because computers, I mean, if you imagine it as a computer, you know, we're constantly iterating and there's been changes, but the education system seems to be stuck in the past. But, you know, I think slowly and steadily things are improving and the ones who are moving the time, moving with the time are going to really reap the benefits. Now, there, uh, it, the the online community of education it's growing rapidly. There's something called as MOOCs, massive open online courses, and, and and there are these some of the top institutes in the world are giving away education almost for free or at, at low cost. So it's something which is unimaginable because even 15 years back this was not really possible, but today. I think the only thing that stops an individual from learning or gaining knowledge is the desire and intent because most of the education is out there on the internet almost free or at low cost. Do you see that these online platforms getting more relevant compared to these brick and mortar uh, education system? Uh, educators know that uh, education, that learning has uh, two, really, two real components. One is a translational component and another is a relational component. Translation is uh, we're moving knowledge from one source to another. It might be from a professor to a student. It's the professor standing at the front of the class lecturing or the teacher standing at the front of class lecturing, uh, you know, hand, handing information, as, as, as you said earlier, to students. And that's what happens in a MOOC, something that is very non-personal. Uh, the other uh, element of learning is relational, where uh, the student is relating to the, the, the teacher, the, the student is relating to the material, to the subject. P 
people are relating to each other, and all educators know, this is black letter law, the relational part of learning is vastly more important uh, in terms of long-term knowledge and retention, et cetera, than translational learning. And so MOOCs were essentially the ultimate attempt at, at, at increasing translational efficiency. Uh, and they just didn't work very well for the vast majority of, uh, uh, of students. So having said that, uh, online learning in general uh, has accelerated dramatically and has accelerated really dramatically in the last couple of years because of the position we've been in with the pandemic. And it, it is absolutely clear that uh, there was a lot of online learning taking place before the pandemic. Uh, there has been an increase in that and there will continue to be an increase. Uh, and, and why? Because now we have technologies like you and I are using right now that can be truly relational, relation-rich learning uh, through technology. And this did not exist for the majority of uh, consumers in the world, uh, certainly 10 years ago, and for the majority five or four years ago. If the pandemic had hit uh, in 2010, uh, learning would have looked very, very different over the last exactly. two years because we did not have this sort of uh, capability. So uh, I believe that there, uh, th there's a very strong uh, movement toward, and there will continue to be a place for uh, virtual learning, hybrid learning, uh, various types of online learning. But the most important thing is that we have to have a relational component so that I, as the, the teacher, uh, you as a student, we can relate to each other as human beings, whether it's in a virtual or a physical space. And I hope that there is always a role uh, for, uh, for people to meet together, uh, meet together as human beings, hopefully face-to-face uh, -face as much as possible. But there will always be a role for that uh, now virtual component where uh, the efficiencies are much greater than having to build a school and having uh, everybody come together at one place physically in time. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe this would have, you rightfully pointed out, maybe it, it would have, if it would have happened maybe 10 years back, I mean, things would have been completely different. Today, technology is playing such a huge role in, in creating these relationships, you know, I mean, creating the, these connections, but a human connection, the physical meet, I mean, it, it's very, very difficult to replace. I mean, there are technologies like the virtual reality and, and the metaverse and people are talking about creating these virtual worlds and these where, you know, with these holographic uh, technologies and things like that. But I, I don't think that a physical uh, education or a teacher will ever get replaced because I think that's the core of, of uh, the, the education system, you know. So, I, I, so yeah. Would you like to unpack lifelong learning? You know, because there, there are. I mean, you know, it, it's an extremely simple term, and and the term the word itself says that i mean we have to become lifelong learners but it's very difficult to wrap your uh, head around it w would you like to unpack li lifelong learning and what do you mean well i think it's something that a lot of educators are trying to uh, understand what that means but i do think we know what some components are uh, i've i've written and and colleagues of mine have uh, very strongly suggested that if we look out 10, 15 years, it's very hard to imagine that a th this thing called quote unquote school is something that we will be restricted to a physical place that we go to for seven hours a day, five days a week, or six days a week, for 36 weeks per year, for 15 years of our lives. Uh, school is going to much more be a place that we go uh, to 
when we need learning, uh, to learn what we need uh, for as long as we need to in our lives. There's no reason that learning should or will stop at a certain age. Uh, and that will involve a lot of uh, virtual technologies and, and virtual learning. Um, I think one of the very important technologies, and I started writing about this oh, eight or nine years ago, uh, when we first saw you know, real investment going into virtual reality. Uh, if we go back to this idea of translational versus relational learning, uh, what we're doing now across Zoom and ultimately virtual reality is, are, are really the first manifestations of true uh, relation, ri relation rich learning via technology uh, that we've ever seen. Uh, the idea that a, a set of students in San Diego can meet up with a professor in Mumbai or that a set of students in Mumbai can meet up with a set of students in San Diego uh, and have a relation rich uh, discussion and whether they're meeting just as we are to discuss or whether they're going to build a robot together uh, using uh, VR is incredibly powerful and it calls into question why we need some of the some of the bricks and mortar uh, schools and it definitely calls into question the boundaries of a classroom a physical classroom is no longer going to be this you know uh, five meters by five meters or whatever it is with a teacher and a set of students. Uh, and so I think that virtual reality certainly is an absolute game changer uh, for education. Uh, I, I, I hope uh, that in the future we don't have students who spend their entire day wearing this headset and uh, never contacting another physical uh, human being uh, individually. We want uh, people to be able to shake hands and hug each other and uh, uh, be in the same space, but virtual reality is a true relation-rich technology that uh, will uh, completely uh, disrupt the operating educational operating system, and there's no turning back on that. Right, yeah, so I completely endorse and, and double uh, whatever you said. Uh, virtual reality, I think, is a technology or a tool which will give us immersive learning immersive experiential learning because i think the only way we learn is when we experience thing you know when we tinker around with things break things and build it and that's the only way we learn now at least here in india our education system is extremely structured you it's it's nine till six and the student is loaded with these books and bags and and it's this geography maths uh, physics when a student could be liking completely something else so we are not pushing the student to becoming good or the best at what he is we are uh, burdening a student with a whole lot of things which is least of his interest so i i hope that with virtual reality coming in uh, there is a shift of how we educate uh, or children and you rightfully pointed out i mean why cannot i access a teacher from america or china why can't we create a collaborative world a collaborative school so virtual reality offers you that the metaverse offers you that that we could create i'm sorry you want i think yes, you want to say yes. something virtual reality offers us that but we can also achieve that without with zero technology because 
that ability to be a lifelong learner, that ability to, to be an experiential learner, we, we, we have known the value of that for well over 100 years. Uh, as I traveled around, when I first traveled around the country and wrote my book here, Ed Journey, when I traveled around the country by myself in my Prius for uh, three months and visited 69 schools, the one biggest takeaway from that effort was that nothing that I saw that was pointed toward the future of education would have been uh, 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 new or improved upon the teachings of John Dewey and Maria Montessori from the early parts of the 20th century, where Dewey essentially told, uh, taught us that great learning is founded on experience, which leads to some kind of passion or interest, which leads to engagement, which leads to, leads to learning. And you can do that by digging in your garden or by walking outside or by having a rich discussion or by tinkering in the maker space or by these all, many, many other things, some of which need a school, some of which we found during the pandemic, uh, teachers found that their students could do, oh, you know what, we can do science in our own backyards without any laboratory. And it's a very rich experience. And so this is not something that we need technology for. In fact, often technology just gets in the way or is window dressing. Uh, so the fundamental transformation uh, that uh, K-12 education, K-16 education has been trying to go through now for this last 20 years is to go back to where we were 100 years ago with the lessons of those great educational philosophers of the progressive era who said, no, you don't learn best by sitting in a desk, being handed information and being expected to regurgitate it on, on an exam. You learn, you learn it and you learn to become a lifelong learner by experiencing, engaging, creating, collaborating, all those things that somehow we thought of now as 21st century skills. They're not 21st century skills. They've been always the skills of lifelong learning that, uh, that, that create successful outcomes uh, for students and people in the professional workplace and personal workplaces. So we just have to keep in mind that this is not anything new. We're just finally reawakening uh, to lessons that we knew and forgot over the latter part of the 20th century. I, I think you said something really profound. Uh, we learn, we don't need technology. We, we, we tinker around, we step out in the garden, we do things and, and, and we learn. I think, you know, that's, that's the organic way of learning. And, and, and somehow we have missed out on the richness of, of, of a past. I mean, you know, there were these awesome painters, awesome uh, artists, the 16th and 18th century, but somehow we have regressed. We have, we have lost that. And, and, and you, you rightfully pointed out i think we need a right balance I, I think the world is now trying to find answers because of the way the things were actually wrong at least here in india we uh, the education system is really really expensive we have an 80 83,000 crore student debt and and it's just being piled on the education system even post-COVID, in, instead of trying to create relief for families and students, it is not changing. So I think that's the reason there's this uh, tug of war between, oh, should I uh, leverage uh, technology because it's offering me uh, better quality education or cheaper education versus, I mean, taking the time and effort and learning from life itself, learning from interaction with family and friends, learning from playing, learning from digging into a past and taking that up and seeing how we can build a better world, uh, an equitable world. So uh, there are so many 
wrongs you know we are we all look up to billionaires like elon musk or jeff bezos and everybody wants to be that nobody is trying to create a world which can be more equitable and you know just for all i i think that's that's the problem and, and i guess that's the reason we create students who 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 even after becoming billionaires are are deeply suicidal and depressed so there is something wrong with the education which needs to be corrected to someone who's been invested in the space and pioneer in the k12 education space what do you think is the way forward for the education because there's some really cool things happening at least from where uh, uh, from what i see i've seen some really interesting thing like for example finland there there's no exams over there whatsoever then there is technology which is being leveraged ar vr artificial intelligence is personalized learnings and and things like that what according to you is the way forward of for the education industry well so first of all i don't think there is one way forward i think that what we are seeing is a, a strong a differentiation in the education market the same thing that's right for a student in finland is not necessarily right for the student of a uh, struggling family in mumbai or a uh, stockbroker's child in new york or a child on the uh, native american reservation in, in the united states so there i think there are many ways forward i i think that there are some uh, similarities that uh that 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 would that are important to all of these models and uh we've touched on some of them so uh, one of them clearly is a much more student centered uh learning environment uh learning has been very uh, teacher centric and subject centric and that's not the way the world works the world is not parsed into seven subjects that you learn in 50 minute blocks uh, the world is a, is is a naturally interdisciplinary place and it's a place in which uh a student learns best by trying and failing and trying trying again and building muscle memory i mean the best cricket players in the world don't become the best cricket players by walking into a classroom and somebody diagramming for them how to be a good cricket player they go out and they play cricket don't they and they learn how to bat and pitch and all those things that i'm not actually terribly familiar with because i don't understand cricket uh but i think you understand uh, what i'm saying uh, so one is uh, a much more uh interdisciplinary transdisciplinary uh set of curricula uh the second one is a much more student centered uh pedagogy where students are part of the process of inquiry uh their process part of the process of setting up problems finding problems which is vastly more important than solving problems in an intellectual process uh it's much more experiential uh it is a it is a a learning system that is not bound by the ba- physical boundaries of campus and that ba- those boundaries can be made more permeable and can be penetrated by technologies we've discussed or they can just be made more permeable by students going out and learning in with their communities so we're starting to see this in many uh, many countries uh as a movement away from that sort of rigid everybody works at the same pace learning the same bit of information information at the same time and moving along the assembly line. So I don't think there's anything new here. There's uh, certainly nothing new from COVID. We've known what the future looks like. Uh and now I think we're accelerating toward it a little bit more quickly than we were 2 years ago. Great learning for the students and nurturing them towards becoming lifelong learners of sorts because you know what happens in you know, the the relationship between a student and an institute is only uh 
till the the student graduates after that the the student is on its own but but there are there are changing model like for example there's this there's this uh, online coding school called lambda which i believe has got a really really good model so they don't charge a- anything to the students it's a coding uh, school they don't charge anything what they do is that the the entire education is free and they handhold them till they get a job once they get a job only once their salary hits a certain threshold then they take a certain percentage from the students so it's it's like a a partnership which they are building which is lifelong so there are these really interesting innovations happening in the space of education has there anything which has been caught, which has caught your attention has excited you uh, when it comes to education innovation well, I think I think that example is a is a fabulous example, and those have been going on here. I know, oh, probably eight or ten years ago, we fought, we first saw those uh, coding boot camps crop up in Silicon Valley with different types of financing models. Sometimes the the the, the school took their uh, ended up taking their their revenue from the the, the companies that hired the students that that got their coding uh, experience. And in something like uh, coding, and I would even argue in some disciplines around things like engineering, where uh, it's very possible to uh, learn a lot about uh, certain things remotely and to demonstrate mastery remotely uh, and to not have to go to a bricks and mortar facility. Uh, Some of my good engineer friends would say, well, wait, we want to build things in a laboratory together. I completely agree. Uh, Some of those will be more possible in virtual reality in the future. So I think for some things, absolutely, there's this there's this very powerful role uh, for these very innovative, different types of learning experiences that are extremely valid. So I think that there are many, many different uh, types of learning that need to take place. And I see great schools of the future uh, will be offering and will need to offer these different modalities. Right. If educators, institutes... Uh, who would want to reach out to you, where where do they get in touch with you? Uh, everything that I do is on my website, uh, www.grantlichtman.com. I write a blog, though I've been a little less... Uh, Less of a blogger in the last year, it seems, than I have in the past. But all all of my uh, talk, a lot of my talks, articles, uh, podcasts, things like that, I'll, I'll obviously put this podcast on my website. Uh, my books, etc., are there, and I'm always happy to uh, talk with folks uh, anywhere uh, from any part of the world who are interested in moving forward the transformation of education. I'm, fortunate at my age to be able to uh, do what I want to do with whom I want. And I'm always happy to collaborate for informal uh, chats with anybody, uh, especially in the great nation of India, who are uh, where you're going through these struggles with very, very uh, important challenges and uh, can be such a model for other countries in the world. Lovely. Thank you, Ryan, for taking time and being part of the show and sharing your insights on the education industry, the wrongs, the rights, and where the future of education industry could uh, could go. Would you like to possibly summarize or maybe add on to what could be the ideal future of education? Uh, the STEM, STEAM, coding. Yeah, what are your views? Yeah, I, again, I, I think that uh, a point of emphasis is that we have known for millennia what constitutes great learning. Uh, in the West, we use the example of 
Socrates or Plato. And in India, there were the sages of um, millennia ago who taught their students the important elements of your culture, of faith, of philosophy, of mathematics, of science uh, that go back thousands of years. Uh, those students learned well. Uh, they met the challenges of their time. Uh, and we have to remember that, that is, those are the ideals. Uh, the ideal is not to pass an exam. The ideal is not to go to a particular college. As you said, the ideal is not to get a particular salary in a particular profession. Most of those professions aren't going to exist when uh, some of these kids that are just coming into school today, yours are six or seven years old, they aren't going to exist when they're out of, out of college. So uh, we know, again, we know how to create great learning. Uh, and what we have to do now is we have to transform our uh, organizations, our educational organizations, uh, back to focus on uh, what creates great learning outcomes. And the good news is we absolutely know how to do this. It's a question of will and uh, focus uh, and determination. Uh, and we will, we will get there. Whether we'll get there in my lifetime across the world, I, I somewhat doubt because I'm a pragmatist. But many, many schools under very difficult circumstances have already achieved this transformation. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And so I encourage people and their listeners to look at those models and analogs of what has worked for schools uh, around the world uh, in very difficult situations, not privileged uh, situations and uh, see that, school, uh, that students can become passionate learners. Uh, they can gain these uh, tools of lifelong learning. Uh, and frankly, everybody's a whole lot happier uh, with that sort of system than the one that we think of as more traditional. So there's a lot of reason for optimism uh, and uh, to move forward. And, and I guess that's how I'd like to leave folks with that uh, sense of optimism. And yes, we will get through the pandemic. Uh, uh, hopefully with fewer deaths in the future, but we will get through it and, and education will evolve in order to meet those post-pandemic challenges. Lovely. What a note to end on. You know, we'll get through it and yeah, the education system looks completely bright. Yeah? So thank you for being part of the podcast. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, then please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. I really appreciate this. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.